Las Vegas Review Journal. They saw me as good enough to be the 17th overall pick. You know what I mean? So I'm more than excited to get to the program and um, improve them right. Not necessarily like prove the haters, the people who made all the mock drafts and all this stuff wrong, but to prove myself and the Raiders organization right. Because I'm thankful and grateful for them. Bishy, Bishy. Are there any discussions at this point with Green Bay about Aaron Rodgers? Uh, Aaron Rodgers is under contract to another team. I can't talk about him. Started off with Tyler Bischoff from ESPN Radio. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Whacking that thing around. Do you think Alex Leatherwood is documenting the haters? I don't know. I think it's so tired. Just show up and play. Who cares? Who cares? On one end, they're like, we don't listen to mock drafts. We don't care about mock drafts. I don't care what anyone says. And it's like, I'm going to show everyone who did the mock draft on me that, you know, I'm going to show all the haters. Show up and play. It's just, that stuff just gets silly. I, I'm more more depressed that Mayock didn't answer my question about Aaron Rodgers to a more you know, detailed <laughs> manner. Piss me off. Did you, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that he was in, like he said it like he was informing you that Aaron Rodgers is still yeah. under contract. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know what the you know what the funny thing about that is? See, everyone's like, oh, he can't speak on him. He can't speak on him. Well, John Lynch did because John Lynch goes, yeah, we yeah. made the call. So someone can speak on him because John Lynch's like, yeah, we made the call. It lasted two seconds. There was no chance. Like, why can't you just say that? Because if someone in your organization, which I know did, tell Vinny earlier in the day, we're weighing all options. Why can't you just say that? I mean, nope. Lynch is saying I actually called the. I actually called them. Um, did you enjoy the tweet from the Raiders that said, "Regardless of what any draft expert said, GM Mike Mayock and Coach Gruden saw a starting right tackle in Alex Leatherwood." Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so they they the, tweeted the team out. Tweeted that out. Yeah, it was it was a story about the first round pick and how draft experts were wrong or wow. going to be wrong or whatever. But the well, best part. Wow. The best part is everybody replying saying Mike Mayock was hired after being a draft expert. Yeah, that's what he Mike. did. Like he said on that Zoom for 18 years, that's oh, what he did. Okay, yeah. but in in her defense, Cassie has to put these things up as fast as possible. <laughs> Call the deadline, Tyler. Okay. I did not see that, and that is – that's almost – sad and way it's like why are you explaining yourself you don't have to explain yourself but you're you're bringing attention to the one thing you're saying doesn't matter so yeah. if you're saying draft mocks don't matter and here's the thing i don't think they should in that room either those people are paid a lot of money to make their own decisions whether they're right or not we'll know but why would you come out and say that you even pay attention to those mocks you know what i mean like you're saying okay they matter they shouldn't matter you should do what you think is right for your organization i think that's actually kind of funny so, some other news from the weekend, uh, not related to the draft, but Richard Sherman, he's still a free agent. Uh, Richard Sherman said that four teams have contacted him when he was, he was talking to Stephen A. Smith when he said this. And the four teams that have contacted him are the 49ers, the Saints, the Seahawks, and the Raiders. Uh, so... I think the question right now, well, there's two, but the, the question right now that I would ask, can the Raiders afford Richard Sherman at the moment? They have $5 million in cap space. Um, there was the Peter King report that maybe they moved Carl Nassib, which would free up a few more million. Uh, if they have six, seven, eight million, is that enough for Richard Sherman? 
Well, you know this cap stuff. Does that include what they have to pay their rookies? I believe so, but I would have to double check that. I believe okay. that takes into account the rookies being okay. Paid. Well, then if okay, so it does. And they have like if they move someone six to eight million. Um, well, it's May third, so I don't know what his market is at this point. Right? We don't yeah. know. What, I mean, it's May. Th- he, it, the draft has already happened, so my guess is he's going to make it. He's going to want to make a decision pretty fast just to make sure he's on a team. So maybe six gets it done. I I mean, I, I don't know if the Seahawks would pay him 10 or something. I, I doubt it. It's May 3rd, and how old is he? So I think six would make sense for someone like that, if not a little less. I, I don't know what the market is for someone who's at his age, and guys' teams seem to be, you know, for the most part, set in a lot of ways. Um, I would think they're in it. He he seems to have a lot of Instagram or photos from Vegas in the last few months, so maybe he just likes being here. I don't know. But, yeah, I would think they're in the ballpark if that's what they can afford. Now, here's what I think is interesting. If they Let's say they add – the Raiders add Richard Sherman. I think it might make a big difference in the secondary because right now, if you sort of go through player by player in this secondary, I don't know that you can actually expect many of them to be better than average because, like, take the cornerbacks. Trayvon Mullen is their best cornerback – He's probably average, maybe slightly a below average as a cornerback. And that's kind of, or he was worse than that last year, but that's kind of a ceiling, is like an average cornerback this next year. It'd be surprising if Trayvon Mullen is like a top 15 corner in football this year. Damon Arnett was horrible last year. So if he's an average cornerback, that would be incredible. And then if you look at the slot corner position right now, it's uh, Nevin Lawson and Amik Robertson. Like, you're below yeah. average there, and I don't think anybody's expecting either one of those guys to be very good. No. And, and then at the safety spot, Jonathan Abrams, a lot like Arnett, he was terrible last year to the point where if he was just an average safety, that would be amazing. Free safety has uh, Trevon Morig, a second-round pick. That's really the guy with the most upside, and it's partially because we've never seen him play at the NFL level. But Morig could end up being a really good free safety for the Raiders. And then you got guys like Jeff Heath and uh, Carl Joseph who are, you know, they're fine players, but they're not their average at best safeties. They're nothing special. But you look at the secondary right now, there's only one guy that you can have legitimate hope is going to be good in that secondary, and it's the rookie, Trevon Mori. So I don't – so if you add Richard Sherman – his floor is pretty much average, right? Like he's going to be at worst an average cornerback – he might be one of the 15 best cornerbacks in football next year. So to me, if you add Richard Sherman, now all of a sudden you're adding a guy who actually has a ceiling of very good, where they don't really have that for most of the guys in the secondary. So to me, that's a massive upgrade. And it knocks one of your worst players, Damon Arnett, out of the starting lineup, which I think is probably a bigger benefit than anything else. Well, yeah, exactly. And even – look – I don't know how much this plays into it, but he played for the defensive coordinator. I don't know how important it is that you know the scheme. Guys can usually pick things up in training camp. I mean, he'd obviously have a familiarity with his defensive coordinator and what he wants. That has to be a plus. How much of a plus? Who knows? It might be 5%. It might be 80%. We don't know in terms of what it means that he played for him. Uh, But anyone at Richard Sherman's level when he was at his best, and he wouldn't be at his best at this age, has to be an upgrade for how bad their defense is. It's almost... Not even about Richard Sherman. It's almost about how bad they've been defensively. He has just because it's Richard Sherman, he has to be an upgrade, right? Because they've just been horrible defensively. If you're bringing Richard Sherman, like let's take Seattle or some of these other teams he's mentioning with better defense than the Raiders, 
then it's like, okay, do you really need him? Where would he fit, you know, at this age? What is he doing? With the Raiders, I, I'm with you. I think it'd be an obvious one to try to get him. You, you have to get better defensively. And you're bringing in a guy who played at a very high level for a long, very long time and played for your new coordinator. It's a no-brainer. It might not be a no-brainer for teams that have a lot better defenses. Yeah, and the, the other part um, about Richard Sherman and the Raiders is last year, the worst like positional group for the Raiders was the secondary. Like the yeah. defense wasn't good as a whole, but the worst positional group was the secondary. And the Raiders did not make any big splashes. They did use a second round pick on Trevon Moore. That is, but that's the biggest change they made in the secondary. They brought in Carl Joseph, who slots in more as a backup to start the year than anything else. That's it. That's all they did in the secondary. They didn't really make a move that makes you think, hey, they're going to be much better at that position. That's what Richard Sherman can do. And when you're trying to get better, when you came up, you know, a game or two short of making the playoffs, you should probably try to improve the worst position on your defense, which was the secondary last year. And that's what Richard Sherman does. So I think if you're the Raiders right now, you are like finding any way possible to bring Richard Sherman on board. Like outside of trading for Aaron Rodgers, I think this should be their highest priority of, hey, how do we get Richard Sherman in here so we have a decent cornerback on the roster and we're not relying on Damon Arnett to try to play, you know, 85% of the snaps this year. Did you see the Photoshop picture of him and Gruden? Sherman or Aaron Rodgers? Sherman. Oh, no, I did not see that one. Gruden's kind of standing there. Uh, I'm, I don't know if he's on the phone. The shot over the weekend of him stand, talking to draft picks. And Richard Sherman's sitting in this nice Barco lounger just looking at him. And at first glance, you're like, is that true? And then, no, but you're like, it's one of the better Photoshops I've seen in a long time. Like Richard Sherman sitting right next to him in a chair. And you had to, like, double take for a second. But then you realize, okay, that can't be true. But it was pretty good. I, whoever did it, I have no idea who did it because someone just retweeted it. Do you think right now, Richard Sherman, like – What's his uh, priority in terms of signing somewhere? Like, does he is he signing somewhere to say, hey, I want to win a Super Bowl? Or is he just signing somewhere because, hey, you offered me the most money and it's May. So I'm signing up regardless of where your team is Super Bowl wise. I think it's May. He's, he's, he's won a Super Bowl. I, I, yeah. I think it's May and how much money may he if he, He's near the end. And like you said, if the difference is nine to six, I'm taking nine probably. I mean, yeah. you're not going to get many more contracts if you're him. At his age, so I think you take the most. I mean, yeah, you want to win and you want to have a chance, but if you like Vegas, he obviously does. He's here a lot, and they're close on the money, if not right at the money with a little more. I think you go to Vegas. I mean, you know, he has a ring. So, you know, I'm sure he'd like another one, but, I mean, he's kind of done that. And at this point in your career, I think you take the most money. Yeah, I looking just trying to look through, like, salary cap space. The Seahawks have more. The 49ers, 49ers have a lot. Uh, so as far as who could offer him the most money, it's probably not going to be the Raiders. Like these other teams, they're in a much better spot to spend. Like if he wanted $12 million, I don't know if the Raiders can make $12 million work, but the Seahawks and especially the 49ers, it looks like they could make uh, $12 million work. So if, if, if those four teams have contacted him, if those four teams actually got into – some form of a bidding war if, if Sherman's able to leverage or have some leverage here with four teams interested in him, the Raiders might be out of it simply because they don't have as much cap space as these other teams. Do you think the reason he hasn't that he doesn't want to sign with the Raiders is that John Gruden said, Hey, and you're gonna line up at wide receiver too. 
<laughs> I think he'd probably sign with them for less if they offered him that, wouldn't he? I mean, of all the coaches, John Gruden's going to try to turn somebody into a wide receiver. <laughs> Why didn't John Gruden go coach in the Arena League when they used to make everybody play both sides of the ball? He would have loved that. I can't, isn't that what his brother did? Did Jay Gruden coach in the AFL? I'm pretty sure. Let me double check. I thought that's a, like, I kind of thought that's where they're like, they came from. Like of all the like uh, Gruden grinder stuff, when the, when arena football used to make, I think it was everybody but the quarterback had to play both sides of the ball. Like that is the definition of Gruden grinder. And you're right, Jared. Jay Gruden began his coaching career as an offensive coordinator in the AFL for the Nashville Cats in 1997. He was the AFL MVP. What, he played? Yeah. What, he played? Oh, wow. (laughs) I assume Ed's gone. Yeah, Ed said his internet crashed on him, so... I don't know if we'll be hearing from uh, Ed Grady anytime soon. This has been it's been a good day. This is what happened to me earlier when you guys lost me at the end of one of our hours. My internet, my Wi-Fi just said, nope, I don't exist anymore, so see you later. So, yeah, it's been a good day for our internet here on right. the Press Box. All right, coming up next, we are going to jump into Bischoff's Briefs and Desiree Reed Francois' Extension. Bischoff's briefs. We we take a lot of pride in being very analytical here. Um, we use a lot of statistical data, tendencies. Bischoff's briefs. Got a lot of respect for the percentages of blitz on second and one to six, third and five to ten. Bischoff's briefs. We take analytics as far as we can, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of human error that I continually make. Bischoff's briefs. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hotline. So we are doing our show from our houses. We use a website to connect to each other so we can just talk to each other through that rather than uh, sending home expensive equipment with us to do our, ho- our shows from home. But what that means is uh, when Ed's internet crashes... Ed gets booted off the show, but Ed, are you there on your cell phone still? I'm here on my cell phone still. <laughs> that could have been a robot. I'm not really sure. I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you to identify which of these pictures have a stop sign in them. Yes, yes exactly. Where are the Where are the motorcycles on all of these pictures? Okay, so right now Ed's doing the show, just talking into his phone, which is. Phenomenal. Um, But Bischoff's Briefs today uh, is going to take a look at the Desiree Reed-Francois extension because they announced that on Friday. She's now uh, extended through 2026 to be UNLV's athletic director. She got hired back in April of 2017. Now, first off, before the actual extension, because I, I thought this was interesting going through the coaches that she has hired. Obviously, we've talked about this the two big sports have not been good since Desiree Reed-Francois has been here. They weren't good before she got here. She hasn't fixed it yet, but it certainly was. She didn't make them bad. They were bad before here. Her football coach is 0-6. Her first basketball coach that was hired went 29-30 and and left for Iowa State. 
and now Kevin Kruger hasn't gotten a chance to coach a game. The two biggest, most important jobs haven't been good. But if you look at the smaller sports that Desiree Francois has hired, Don Sullivan, uh, volleyball head coach. All right, now I'm getting echo and feedback. What's happening there? Okay, it's gone. It's gone. All right, ignore that. Don Sullivan uh, was the volleyball coach. She had an undefeated regular season, went to the NCAA tournament this season. Lindy LaRock had the Lady Rebels with the second best record in the Mountain West in her first season. Christy Fox was hired as the UNLV softball coach. They went 25 and 27 the year before they hired her. Since she's been the head coach, they've been 113 and 50. That's a nearly 70% win rate in four years. And even UNLV women's soccer, first year this year under Ginny Ruiz, they were only 5-4-1, not a great record. But the last season they played, they were 6-13-1. So pretty much every coach she's hired at a smaller level has turned things around very, very quickly. And to be honest, Otzelberger had a very good first year as well. His year one was a big turnaround. It's just year two wasn't very good. So her hires have been very good in the other sports. And by the way, UNLV announced this morning that Rich Ryerson, the men's head coach, uh, head soccer coach, it will be his last season in the fall. That'll be his 12th year as the head coach of men's soccer. So she'll be making another hire as well. But what was more interesting to me were some of the contract details here. Because first off, she has a buyout in her contract, like uh, a head coach for basketball or football would or whatever. Uh, so she is now making $420,000 a year. She got a raise up from $350,000 a year. If UNLV were to fire Desiree Reed Francois, they would owe her the remaining salary on the contract minus 50000 per year. So basically, if they fire her, however many years left, they're going to owe her $370,000 times however many years are left. So it makes absolutely zero sense to fire Desiree Reed Francois. Like they're just going to pay her to go away. That would make no sense pretty much at any point in this process for UNLV. But what's more interesting, because she has been linked to the UCLA job, she's been mentioned with Northwestern and Kansas, like anytime there's a Power 5 job that opens, Desiree Reed-Francois' name gets brought up. Her buyout, if she leaves UNLV, if she were to do it right now, between right now and June 30th of next year, she would owe UNLV half a million dollars. If it was July 1st of 2022 to June 30th of 2023, it would only be $250,000. And then any time after June 30th of 2023, she would owe UNLV $100,000. When I see that buyout, I basically see it as after next year, it's not much of a hindrance for Desiree Francois to leave UNLV. Right now, it costs her a half a million dollars. But after that, $250,000, because she's conceivably going to be making, if she took another job, making seven, dollars $800,000, that that $250,000 is not going to be a big hindrance to her taking another job. Well, and I'm back, baby. Uh, <laughs> back, on the, back with the wireless. <laughs> ah! um, yeah, let me ask you. I mean, it's a big buyout. I suppose, unless you're a power five, right? So if you really want her and you want her to be your AD, it's like any coach. Every time we hear, like, this is the buyout for this UNLV coach football bass, like, yeah, uh, power five will just pay that, especially if it's a head coaching job. Um, So I would assume in the next year or so, if a power five comes calling and 
I do believe that her goal is to get to power five and be an AD at power five, much like every one of her coaches and everyone at the, at the uh, non-power five level. That's what you want. Nothing wrong with that. You want to go to the highest level and see what you can do with those kind of resources and money. I would think if you want her bad enough, you'll pay the half a million. Now you definitely, I think if you get start getting in the two fifty and a hundred thousand range, that's really nothing for a power five. So um, yeah, she, I think if she stays one more year and she's in play for all these power five jobs, there's every chance she would go take one and, I don't think anyone should criticize her for that. If you can get to the power five as a, a leading AD, you go take the job. I mean, with her, it might have something to do where she where she wants to live, where her family wants to be. Um, I get that as well. I have a family, so you kind of see, you know, uh, her son's near college age. Where is he going to go? You have to take that into consideration. But I would ultimately believe her goal is a power five, and I would think it should be a power five. Something else I thought was interesting from her contract is the bonuses that she gets paid. A lot like uh, the coaches have bonuses for making the NCAA tournament, winning a conference championship, winning coach of the year, whatever it is. There are bonuses in Desiree Francois' contract. And as an example, if either the men's or women's basketball teams wins the national title, she gets $15,000. If the football team wins a regular season conference title, she gets $15,000. Those are the biggest bonuses in her contract, $15,000. And there's one more that pays $15,000. If the annual GPA of all student athletes is 3.0 or higher, she gets $15,000 bonus. So in her contract, it is just as important in terms of these bonuses for her to have student athletes with a good GPA as it is for the basketball team to win the national title. That is to me a big indicator. Like not, not to say Desiree Francois is only in it for the money, but like they love to talk about academics. They love to pump up how good they've been academically since she's been here. That's a big reason why her contract incentivizes them to be just as good as academics as they are at athletics, if not better at academics than they are at athletics. Well, I mean, I, I know we both have jobs, but I think both of us would take the job as her agent because we'd get her a lot more to win a football anything at that school. So uh, <laughs> that, I will I mean, say I might, that is – She might get 50 – if I'm her agent, she's getting 50 to 75. Right. It, so she, if, might get, if, she might get a bonus per win. Yeah, she should. If the football team makes a bowl game – and, and oh. remember, UNLV hasn't been to a bowl game since, what was it, 2013, I think was the last bowl uh, game? Bobby, Bobby Houck, yeah. The, the Dallas the, Bowl, I was there. It was great. The heart of Dallas Bowl. The Obama administration. <laughs> if she if she makes – if they make a bowl game, Desiree Francois, her bonus is only $10,000. Oh, that on. is something that's happened – what has it happened? Four times in UNLV football yeah. history? Come on. If they, it's only 10000 to make a bowl game. Though, I, mean, I will say, if they make a bowl game, she probably gets another raise and another extension. So that might make up for it. But, like, they make a bowl game. That is a heroic feat that she deserves a ton of credit for hiring the guy that got him there. I mean, Did we lose that again? I mean, programming, okay. note for all of you out there, we're going to have Desiree Refrance log tomorrow. Oh, am I there? Yes. You're there. We You're there. You we got you. Hello? We got you. Yep. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. Can you hear us? Um, programming note, we're going to have Desiree Refrancois on tomorrow at 730. And we now have decided the entire segment is myself and Tyler um, kind of uh, doing our job application for her agent. We're going to sell ourselves to be her agent. <laughs> That's it. That's the only thing we're going to ask her. All right. Coming up next, we talk to Drew McGarry.
Uh, I'm not like I'm not the type of dude to fall into like the media hype, mock drafts, and all that good stuff. Uh, so I just like did what I could do well. You know what I mean? Did the best I could do, and uh, trusted the process, and <clears throat> it all went great. We're back to the press box with Grainy and Bischoff. Joining us now from the defector is Drew McGarry. Drew, how are you this morning? Hey, Drew. Yeah, you got the pronunciation right. Very, very good. You get an apple. What did I, what, your last name? How else would you pronounce it? I, well, I, I have people ask me all the time. They go, is it Magary or McGarry? So I, oh. and then they say, well, we have a bet going with my friends. And I'm like, well, it's <laughs> McGarry. And they're like, oh, shit, I got it wrong. <laughs> oh. I, don't, I mean, I listen, I've gotten last names wrong quite often, but I didn't even consider yours could be pronounced differently. So I'm, I'm glad I got it right without ever worrying about it. If my name was Mick Gary with an MC instead of an MA, I'd be golden, but it's not. So again, anytime <laughs> there's any sort of opening for people to screw up your name, they will take it. Like, I've had people <laughs> add consonants into my name, like Mag Barry and stuff like that. I'm like, where'd you get the B from? That wasn't listed anywhere in the guide. Okay. Uh, Drew, do you love or hate the NFL draft? Oh, I love the draft. Like, I if, if I ever complained about the draft, it's only because I love to complain about it. I watched most of the first night, and I, I got a little mad. at My team's a Viking, so I got a little mad because I wanted them to trade down, and then they did, but that meant I had to stay up an extra hour, but I did watch all the way until the <laughs> No, that is that is the perfect way to be mad at the draft is when your team trades down and you have to pay attention longer in the draft. Okay, uh, I know you tweeted about it. How worried were you that they were taking Mac Jones? Uh, well, I was. I was. It was for a long time. I thought Justin Fields might fall to them, and then after the fact, it turned out that they were looking into trading for Fields, but then the Bears <coughs> uh, snuck in front of them at twelve and guys. So I was looking more about. Fields falling to them, and then Jones fell, and I was like, well, his comp is Kirk Cousins, so nobody <laughs> wants another Kirk Cousins on their team, so it's probably not going to be him. And then they trade down because that's what the Vikings like to do. So in general, I like watching the draft, and I still get very pissy about like the Wilbons of the world telling me that I'm not allowed to be excited or interested in the draft and that I'm like some sort of like basement dweller because I do it. Like, who the hell are you to tell me what I like and don't like? I like watching it. Shut up. Were you upset that it happened to be the Bears that came up and got him? I mean, kind of, but I know what the Bears do to quarterbacks, so I'm not that <laughs> I was more concerned that, like, like I wanted, for his sake, because I enjoyed watching Justin Fields play at Ohio State, and I saw what got done to him. He got done dirty in the whole anonymous scouting process and all that. So I wanted him to succeed. But now that he's going to the Bears, I, I have to root for him to fail. And I, I'm quite confident that he will fail now that he's a Bear. <laughs> okay. On that same idea of being a Vikings fan, how worried are you that Jordan Love is going to suddenly become a top-five quarterback in the NFL and the Packers have another 15 years of great quarterback play? Yeah, I mean, that's inevitable. That's just what's going <laughs> to happen. The real drama is how long it'll take that transition to occur. Like, it could be that they are forced to trade Aaron Rodgers this offseason, and then Jordan Love has to just suck for a year before anything else happens. Like Aaron Rodgers had enough grooming time in Green Bay that when he got on the field, he kicked ass right away. But he sat for like, what, two, three years? That never happens anymore. So 
I'm hoping that there is a, an awkward transition phase at the very least with Jordan Love, or at best, you know, that, you know, the Green Bay finally is in the wilderness back when they had like Don Mikowski and all that. And well, do you think there? that Aaron okay. Rodgers is one of the very few players who has enough juice who could actually, who, who actually, Aaron Rodgers is one of the few who actually has enough juice to get a GM fired? You would think. You would, I, I don't know what's so valuable about Brian Gutekunst that like you're like, oh, we got to have this guy. Got, well, damn what Aaron Rodgers has to say. He's only the greatest quarterback in our, in our history. Like someone said, I, I didn't say it. Someone on Twitter was like, if this was the NBA, that guy would have been fired like a month ago and no one would have batted an eyelash because it's the NFL. Like, oh, well, you have to care about, you know, this, this rando in the front office. Like, all this, all this <laughs> Brian Gutekunst had to do with the Packers was start, like, paying for free agents because they hadn't done that for, like, 20 years. And he did it, and that made him good. But you can find someone else who also enjoys spending on free agents. It's not that hard. <laughs> Uh, do you believe that Aaron Rodgers would actually retire rather than play for the Packers this year? I, I think he is that heavy, but no, ultimately, no, I, I don't think so. I think it might, you know, I, I was more, I was much more of the mind that Deshaun Watson would willingly sit out the entire Texans season. That was before he got accused of sexual assault. Now that entire situation is completely different. Um, but I don't. I don't think Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers would rather play the full season and tell everybody how annoyed he is and be very public about it than sit out the season. I, I think he'd like to have his cake and eat it too. He likes to play, but he also likes to bitch. Uh, that's why the Sean Watson thing is bizarre and fascinating. Yet to sit back and watch because each week someone's saying they're coming forward, and each week someone's saying they're not. The, the lawyers on the on the women's side of thing, he seems to like the. Uh, the attention, let's be honest, with the media. Where do you think this plays out? I mean, is there any chance that this guy could play this year with this hanging over his head? Yeah, I think he could play this year. I, You know, I, I was like everybody else when it started because, I, you know, I knew about the lawyer um, and, you know, and, and the lawyer who was representing these these women had a, you know, he was a bit grandiose in the sort of Giuliani mold. And so you're like, oh, all right. But each account is so credible. Um, and there was a woman who was not hired by that lawyer who had a similar account. They were all very similar. And so it became very, very distressing, you know. And so now we're at this point where, you know, I, you know, I had a lot of sympathy for Deshaun before these, you know, before these allegations. He was stuck with a, with a, with a dumb team that was, you know, in the thrall of a, of a counterfeit Hillsong preacher and all that stuff. Um, you know, but, you know, and, and I wanted him to play and I wanted him to succeed in a different environment. And now it's like, well... You know, guess what? The famous person you thought you knew isn't the famous person you thought you knew. And so, you know, I, I know the Texans are already doing the thing where, you know, they're monitoring it and the NFL is, you know, watching how the legal system plays out and all that stuff. But ultimately, I just saw Antonio Brown win a Super Bowl ring, right? Like, they're able to, they're able to stash this away when the season comes around, no matter who it is and no matter what they've done. It happens. I've seen it happen too many times. For it to be like, well, Deshaun Watson's never going to play a down of football again. I just don't believe that'll happen. Is the NFL uh, better? Maybe better is not the right word. Are they are they better at that than any other league? Where yeah, you've got a bunch of legal problems and you've done a lot of bad stuff, but yeah, welcome back. Here's a Super Bowl, Antonio Brown. Yeah, I mean they. 
I mean, better is sort of the, I don't know if that's the correct word for it. They are certainly more bloodless about it than other leagues are. They also don't have, if, and I might be wrong about this, but, you know, in, in, in MLB and the NBA, there are collectively bargain punishments for players when this sort of stuff happens. The NFL is still very loosey-goosey, and so it's just, you know, the ginger hammer sitting in his basement with that stupid chair spinning a, ru- a roulette wheel. What punishment does that give you? And nobody really, there's not much rhyme or reason to it. And, you know, Tyreek Hill is still a superstar, even though, you know, he allegedly broke his own child's arm. And it's, you know, it's very believable that he did, even though it's not, like, even though it hasn't been, he hasn't been legally convicted of it. So the NFL is very, very, is so big that it can just use its own ludicrous clout to blot out all of the sort of unpleasantries that happen with individual players and coaches and executives. Uh, I want to ask you about this because it came over this morning, different sport. But have you ever considered LeBron comes out last night and rips the playing games, given they're in a playoff in their playing game position right now, and he says whoever came up with this should be fired. What have been your thoughts about him in the whining category over the years? Is this kind of is this kind of something new in your mind that he would do something like this and just start ripping uh, ripping playing games or whatever he wants to rip at this point? Well, it's a bad idea, so I'm fine with him bitching about it. It's a stupid idea. Just. Why, why do I want to? Why do I want an NIT before the NBA playoffs begin? I don't want that. Get out of here. Let, let the bad teams at the eighth spot go in and die, and then we'll move on with our lives. I don't need it. So, you know, I I was a LeBron hater early in his career. I didn't have a lot of rationale for it. I think I was sort of following whatever you know, chattering idiot on ESPN was saying at the time about him. But I've, you know, I've done a 180 on LeBron James, and I'm not at the point where, you know, a lot of basketball bloggers now treat him as if he's a head of state, which he's not. But in general, usually when, when LeBron speaks his mind, I don't really have much of a problem with it. And there's usually a decent amount. There's usually, it's first of all, it's usually true, but also there's not much of an ulterior motive behind it. I, I believe he means what he says when he when he says it, even if it's a complaint. What uh, what was the moment in your life or in LeBron's life that made you change from LeBron hater to LeBron acceptor? I think watching him play, and I was like, you know what? I really like watching him play. So what am I complaining? <laughs> awesome. so, I think it was. I think it was. It wasn't. It wasn't when he won the the ring with Cleveland. I think it was the year before that. He went back to Cleveland, and he had just. He was playing with like four bags of flour, just a totally worthless <laughs> team. Dragged them all the way into the finals. Now, I think he won a game or two and had one game where he was just outlandish, just one of the best games I've ever seen a basketball player play. And I didn't want to get to the point where, like, I didn't appreciate Jordan until he came back after his retirement. I didn't like him during that first, uh, you know, trio of titles that he won. And I didn't want to get into to a point where I was not appreciating athletes for who they were and what they were doing in front of my very eyes again. So now I say all that, but I keep bitching about Tom Brady winning Super Bowls year after year. So I'm <laughs> uh, Drew, would you have wanted to be one of the fans sitting in the recliner on stage that Roger Goodell says hello to before announcing the pick? No, those people are losers, man. Like, you know, like if he, if he, if he tips you the pick, and I think he showed some people the car, but not all of them. But if you're just like up there, like, wow, I get to sit in the chair that a rich guy has in his basement in, in like, you know, in, in Westchester County, who cares? 
care. It's stupid. I don't care. <laughs> well, he is Drew McGarry from The Defector. Drew, as always, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, guys. See ya. See, nobody, I don't know why you'd want to sit in that chair. I don't even know if it's a good view from up there. What do you get to see? Random people? The backside well, and, of Roger Goodell. You know, yeah, that too. I mean, if if you're going to tell me that I've been picked the day before and, I mean, I get the pick then and can put some action on it, that's one thing. But if I see the pick like two seconds before he announces, it's not that big a deal. Like, <laughs> you know, <and> I mean, <laughs> if, if you tell me the day before who they're picking yes. and I can put, put some, some action, action on it. On it. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, geez. well, I mean. He sends me two seconds beforehand. I'm like, what? What am I going to do with that? Oh, the Jaguars are picking Trevor Lawrence. I know before everyone else. I mean, well, hopefully you'd woge the the situation. <laughs> oh, tweet, well, tweet it. oh man, how quickly would I have to tweet it? But as he walks towards the the microphone. Yeah, I mean, the best part of that is most of the picks are tweeted by somebody as Goodell is walking to the podium. <laughs> So that guy didn't even, like, he had as much information yeah. as we did. He just got to see yeah. it typed out on a card or something like that. Yeah. So you don't even get early information. You're getting late information. Think about the, the think about the thing where your team drafts a offensive tackle. Like, 90% of football fans do not know who their offensive tackle is. And so it's like, oh, was, is, is that a good? Rod, Rod you just left. <laughs> I, I don't know if we did well or not. Right. No clue. Imagine if they had done that when the Raiders picked Cleveland Furl. Oh, that's right. Raiders, oh, Raiders fan would have grabbed the card and been like, no, no, oh, take it back to John. No. Yeah. Take it back. We're not doing that, John. Take it De- back. Depending on how, how about it was, how about if this guy sitting in the chair was the violator? <laughs> that got like dressed up in a crazy costume. He looks at this and says, no, no, we're not taking that. We're not picking him. Nobody's heard of him. No, thank you. Get out of here. <laughs> All right. We'll take a break, and when we come back, I don't know what we're doing yet. Do you think Corey Seager should have made that play in the 11th on the, the ground ball that went in the left? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a ball hit hard to his backhand, and Corey's a very good defender, so I, I, don't, I didn't see the replay, and you know, he's made a lot of good plays for us. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. The manager of your second place, Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. It's too bad you I guys mean, beat up on that poor kid making his debut for the Brewers yesterday. Oh, my God. What a disaster for that poor kid. But, uh, I mean, I thought Seager should have made the play. But it's not like Robert said. It's not like he's a bad defender like Tatis. So uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, Seager's a much better. He's actually a really good high level defender, not like Tatis. So uh, yeah, he should have made the play. But uh, beat up on that kid yesterday. That was taking some taking some aggression out on that poor kid. Jeez. MLB and, and, debut. And Milwaukee just said, "Well, well, Milwaukee just said, you know what? We won three out of four. Let the kid go. Like they, <laughs> it's like whatever." <laughs> MLB debut for Alec Bettinger. Four innings, 11 hits, 11 earned runs, zero oh. strikeouts. My goodness. It's not good. That when he, when no. everybody finds out the Dodgers have been cheating, he's going to sue you guys for ruining well, his MLB career. It's, it's really bad when you're like, okay, they hit two grand slams. Let's say one was Mookie and another was like Turner. No, one was Pollock and one was Beatty. I mean, like, when those are the two dudes going on the Grand Slam, it's been a long day for you. Just like, okay. Wait, Pollock isn't a relief pitcher? No, no. Uh, yeah. No. We so, sit him up there. He cleaned house. 
<laughs> Some Golden Knights news ahead of their game against Minnesota. Pete DeBoer is talking to the media right now. First off, Max Pacioretty is apparently a game-time decision tonight against Minnesota. Anybody who gets hurt ends up being a game-time decision, though. Uh, but more interesting, Peyton Krebs has been activated from the taxi squad to the actual Golden Knights roster, meaning he could play tonight in Minnesota. He is a center, and the Golden Knights have played their last two games without a real third or fourth line center, thanks to the injuries to Tomas Nosek and Nick Waugh. So it would seem to make a lot of sense that Peyton Krebs is playing tonight as a third or fourth line center for the Golden Knights. Yeah, the board giving us a lot of specifics when he says, if they're with us, they have potential playing. Well, I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I would hope guys, I hope you didn't take guys on the plane who have no chance of playing. That wouldn't have made sense. So I think, I thought Justin Emerson uh, tweeted out something really interesting. I didn't, I'm sure you knew this rule where uh, you can play six in the NHL without losing a year um on your uh, elc well they have six games left so maybe the decision has been made they wait until they had six games left and like you said earlier in the show see what the kid has and see if he can play in the playoffs i mean it's a perfect time six left he can play six i don't know if he'll play in all of them but if he's on the trip he's gonna play he's obviously playing at some point so here's a question for you pete DeBoer apparently did not uh, say whether krebs would play or not he gave that vague quote you just said about if they're with us they are their potential to play why would you not say the guy is making his NHL debut if he is making no. his NHL debut? Like, is like I feel like, okay, oh, Minnesota can game plan for a guy who's never played above whatever junior level hockey he's played. Like, I can't, like, I feel like you would like the excitement of, hey, Peyton Krebs, a first round pick, is making his NHL debut for the next, like, four or five hours before the game starts, right? Yeah. Like, wouldn't. Wouldn't you yeah, want well, that as an organization for people to be excited to watch your team play? They got no tape on no, it. No, you'd, you'd want it. And, yeah, that, that's the weird thing. If it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, the Wild might know about him, then it gets very bizarre. I mean, we're going to know, Tyler, because, you know, right as the warm-up start, Twitter's going to show us whether or not Peyton gets his lap. Doesn't he get the lap as, like, the first game? Peyton, oh, that's, yeah, the rookie he gets lap. The lap. Yes. He gets the rookie lap. So we'll know very fast during warm-ups if, in fact, Peyton Krebs is playing. Like, can you imagine the Minnesota Wild sitting there saying, uh-oh, Peyton yeah. Krebs is in the yeah. lineup. We got to change some of that other, the film on him. We don't have any film on him. We got to change uh, everything we do to game plan for Peyton Krebs. Like, that's that's the part of the Golden Knight secrecy. I don't, there's, there do so many things where they don't give an answer that there's, there's no benefit to them not giving an answer. Like, there's some things you understand, like, okay, you're not going to tell us what trade conversations you had about Marc-Andre Fleury. That's, we, okay, there's some competitive disadvantages if you do that. I can understand that. But, like, hey, is Peyton Krebs in the lineup? I don't know. You'll have to find out. There's, there's zero competitive edge for that. There's none whatsoever. Just tell us he's in the lineup. Then we can all be excited for the next six hours to see a first-round pick make his NHL debut. It'd be exciting. I don't know how excited I'd be. I'm, I've got wireless now.